We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 156. Scott, it's been a busy weekend for everybody, including the Yankees, who played 43 innings. My eyes were glazing over last night as I was watching that Sunday night game. Every game to me just sort of blurred together. That 16-inning marathon game on Saturday, doubleheader on Sunday. What a way to jump back into the second half. Yeah, classic Yankees-Red Sox on Saturday action, six hours of baseball. I'm sitting here like looking at the clock like, no way has it been six hours of baseball. But yeah, that was a long day. And then uh, today, I feel I kind of feel for those guys who were uh, going out there and playing. I think only, what, Frazier and Judge were the only two guys that played both games. Torres as well. Torres uh, played. did as well. Torres okay. and Judge played all five, all, I, I say five, four games, pretty much five games. Yeah, that's a lot of baseball. That's a that's a that's a ton of baseball. Yeah. I mean, at some point you just get sick of playing baseball that much. So yeah, that's um, the thing. It's it's not as much I think physical as it is mental to be engaged for six hours on Saturday and then essentially eight hours on Sunday. Yeah, and I guarantee that second game on Sunday is the one that just is absolutely brutal yeah. because you're just so ready for this to to end and get to me go the hell out of here already. Yeah, like smelling salt is coming out. Where's the where's the coffee with all the good stuff? <laughs> you know, for that second game. Break out those greenies. 
<laughs> we need, yeah, they need a they need to lean on one of the guys from the seventies to uh, to give me to get the Greenies coffee recipe. Well, if you guys can't tell from our voices, we are recording early on Monday morning. Figured it's best to get a night's rest under our belt after after that Sunday night game. Yeah, not to mention I have been driving all weekend, so it's been uh, and I figured out the technology in my in the new place I'm staying right now. So uh, that was a, a late night venture, me trying to figure out technology so that this morning we could be ready to roll. So we're good. At least I think we're good. And I know you you may have pulled an old man injury this weekend, right? Oh man, so. Uh, apparently, whenever someone someone challenges me to something, I can't say no. Still, and uh, that's I don't, I don't know I don't know why. But I'm Scott's 30, never grown up. I'm 37 years old, and I have a, a younger brother that's uh, that's 15, and he's a sophomore in high school. And we had been talking about this for a while. Like I'm always very competitive with him in sports because he's getting to that point now where he thinks he's just on top of the world and can't be beaten anything. Right, he's a cocky and, little sob. Yeah. And uh, first of all, I beat him in in, uh, in a video game, which is embarrassing. First, of, you're Mo- like video game prime at 15. That's modern embarrassing. Was I, it a modern video game or was yeah. it like uh, Mike, no, it was Mike not Tyson's Nintendo. Punch Out? <laughs> no, it was Madden. It was Madden. Okay. That's embarrassing. That is embarrassing. Yeah, that is. I mean, it's. I haven't played Madden in years. Same buttons, though, I must say, and the same plays still work. That did work, but. <laughs> So he challenged, we had been talking about a race, like, oh, he's always like, yo, you're, I'm faster than I can do anything. I'm like, all right, just shut up. Let's write now, right now. This is after, after I'm eat, I ate hamburgers, had like three glasses of wine. Let's go. So we go out into the yard and I smoke him. I mean, just smoke him. It's embarrassing. He lost in the first three feet because my jumps are so good. And I'm telling you, I still got it. I still got that quick twitch. I still got that fast start, and people are just demoralized off the gate. And that's exactly what would happen to A-Rod if I were to race him right now. Right, but until after the race, you realize that you're 37 years old and your body hurts. I was, I was fine right afterwards. Today, two days later, my Achilles is a little sore. <laughs> <laughs> my brother is uh, in Denver. My other brother is in Denver and just uh, ran some, it was like a half Ironman, some, something stupid. That's and such a Denver well, thing. Yeah, it is. It is pretty Denverish. And he woke up on Sunday. I was like, dude, are you tired? He's like, no. I'm like, my Achilles is killing me. And I ran like 50 meters. <laughs> it was something, a short sprint. So yeah, um, uh, I need to work on the uh, the Achilles stretching apparently. Yeah, you, you forgot to stretch before the game. Oh, I stretched. I stretched. But I, I, apparently, I think every time I do something physical, I find something new I have to stretch. You were injured from doing physical activity. I was injured from watching too much baseball this weekend. Yeah, I can handle that. That's just sitting on a couch. No problems there. Before we get into everything, there's so much to talk about. It was a slow week last week because of the All-Star break, and we jumped back in full force. But before we get to that, I wanted to remind everybody about September 30th. Mark that day on your calendars. It's the last Saturday of the season. Bronx Pinstripes crew is going to be out at the stadium. We're still figuring out details, but we know we're going to be in the same sections as last time, sections 205 and 206. Those are awesome seats hanging right over Aaron Judge. I love those seats. I thought it was um, because sometimes you get a big group together, you're up in the nosebleeds or, or you're out in the bleachers. But this, you're right there, right on top of the field. It's a great, great atmosphere there. We don't know exactly what we're going to be doing pregame. More details to come. We just wanted to say mark your calendars for the 30th. All right, Scott. So Yankees have not won a series still since that weekend. We were last there, and hopefully they win one before we get to the stadium on the 30th. They split with Boston. <laughs> We could, they should have won this series. I think everyone knows what happened on Friday night. But 
it's amazing that we still have not won a series since the middle of June, and they're still only two and a half back, two games back in the loss column, three and a half out of first place. Yeah, I mean, the luck. This is this is one of those things when you see how they've still lingered around first place, and they're still right in the mix of everything. Which to me is like the best news possible after you've seen what's been happening over the past month of baseball. The fact that they're still in it, and to me, I, I think they played pretty good baseball this this weekend, pretty much all weekend. You know, there were a couple areas that obviously you know can uh, change the outcome of a game, but there were there were isolated incidents. I think for the most part, the team played a hell of a lot better than we've seen in a long time. And you you go back in that Friday game, you win that game, totally different weekend in my opinion because. Uh, because of the way that you know that it went down on on Saturday and then early on Sunday, um, but yeah, the it's 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 truly amazing. And if you're a Yankees fan right now, like I know people are always talking about at this point, they're looking up and they're looking around. They're like, no, it's still rebuild. We got to sell, 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 sell. Like, okay, fine, I understand. You can do certain things. You can make minor additions. You can do these things. But why are we selling at this point? We've lost this many and we're still in it. Like, this is a good. This is a good sign. Also, who are we gonna sell? There's, there's, no, yeah, exactly. There's like what, to, really- what? Uh, this is not last year where you could sell Beltron, Chapman, and Miller and get a boatload of prospects. Who on this team are you going to sell? People are like, get rid of Ellsbury. Awesome. Yeah. You're going to eat half the contract and get no players in return. How does that help you for this year? It doesn't. The only, the only chip that was relatively there was Michael Pineda, and we know what just happened to that. So there's nothing there. There's really nothing to trade. Exactly. Uh, it's a little annoying, and I get, I understand that fans are demoralized because this team has just sort of been on a downward spiral for a month. But like you said, there were positives to take away from this weekend. And if one inning, the ninth inning on Friday night, goes differently, we are all so happy right now. Yeah, exactly. That's that's three of four from Boston. But you look at what happened over the weekend, and and, and just like you said, I mean, there's a there's, there's a lot of positives. There's not just a few. There's a ton of positives. What has been the biggest problem over the past month? Our bullpen. And granted, we had a problem with the bullpen on Friday night with one dude, but the rest of the bullpen was lights out pretty much all weekend. And that so one dude, that's Chapman, a huge deal. Chapman, after that Friday night disaster, pitched pretty well the rest of the weekend. Yes. So there are a lot of positives. And uh, that, I mean, those are the ones I'm choosing to look at right now because one, they're to me glaring. And and two, I mean that that's an away series too. This isn't a, a series at Fenway. It's a at a you know a, a, t- a very tough place to play where there's usually a ton of offense, and the pitching staff showed very well. It's impo- It's not impossible. It's very very difficult to sweep a doubleheader, which is why you kind of assumed that once we got to Sunday, it was going to be a split and a split of the series. That Friday game, I know we've said it. A dozen times already this season, but that may have been the worst loss of the season. That was the worst I've felt after a game this season. Yeah, I don't think it's the worst I've felt. I, th- I think there's been ones that I've felt worse, but um, it was pretty demoralizing when you're looking at what happened. You come in with that lead and everything is going as scripted as, as it's supposed to be. And guys are actually doing their job. And then you get to the, the last dude. And uh, and it's just it just it never goes well. It, there's not like one moment in that inning that you're like, okay, I got this. No, you you knew from the first batter that it was it was bad things were about to happen. Chapman has not looked right since he returned from the DL. His control has been an issue. I think you might be able to use the excuse that he didn't pitch for a week because of the All Star break. 
and he had had weird sort of uh, outings where he nothing was in a regular cadence. It was he'd pitch twice and then not pitch again for five days. So he never got in a rhythm. But at the same time, I almost rather Chapman have just gone out there and given up a two-run home run, and at least you can say, okay, he made a bad pitch and they hit him. When he's walking guys, he's giving up. Uh, he gave up two infield singles. Did not pay attention to the runners. Double steal. Both him and Batances don't pay attention to runners. That is coaching. That needs to. They need to get to those guys and say, when runners are on base, you need to hold them, or else you're going to absolutely screw us this season. So it's little things like that that really frustrated me. Yeah, and I'm 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 getting sick of the excuses of of you know the the days aren't working out the way you want them to be. You're not in the same routine. I feel like we've said that a bunch about a bunch of dudes, and it's it's come out of our mouths way too many times. Like these guys are professional athletes that are supposed to be ready for their situation. He's a situational guy, so get ready for your situation that could come up at any point. Like to me, the other stuff, like I understand that's not your part of your norm, and you may not be used to doing it a certain way. Well, you need to think about that, and you need to mentally prepare. And you need to physically prepare for that moment so that you are ready to come in and pitch effectively. But the the fact that he can't throw the ball over the plate and, you know, something that we've talked about for a long time and I'm hearing all over the commentators now, everybody's talking about it now, too, is, is the fact that, you know, Chapman's throwing 100 miles an hour, 103 miles an hour, whatever. It just doesn't matter that much anymore because everybody and their brother is throwing 100 miles an hour. It's so much more reliant on the location of that 100-mile-an-hour pitch and then that secondary pitch you have to put some doubt in the back of the mind. It's, yes, you're right, location. But he, when he's not even locating it in the strike zone, all the Red Sox batters had to do was go up there and take. Right. Benintendi, when the bases were loaded at the end of that game, he, I knew he wasn't going to swing. He was going to let Chapman walk him, and that's exactly what he did. And I also noticed at the end of that game, after Chapman walked Benintendi, it looked like he forgot the bases were loaded, or he forgot he forgot that the tie, the score was already tied. He forgot something because he was just standing on the mound. He didn't walk off. Yep, I saw that too. It looked like he was expecting Sanchez to throw the ball back to him. Sanchez immediately walked back to the dugout. But Chapman was standing there like, wait, wait, why aren't we still going here? What's going on? Maybe it's because it was the intentional walk before him when you don't have to throw pitches anymore, so he forgot. Maybe he forgot uh, the score. I don't know what it was. But kind of just shows you that his head was not 100% in that game. No, I agree with you. I saw that too, and I, I took note of it. And, you know, whether he <laughs> – he's got to know what inning it is, right? I mean, he's, he knows he knows what inning usually well, – I think in. he knew what inning it was. But <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. Who, who knows these days? But there's uh, there, there was definitely something off there because he did not walk off immediately. And you're right. He looked like he was about to receive the ball. So the situation – and that's huge. If you don't know what the situation is, if you think you have a runner, if you don't think the bases are loaded and you're, you're doing things differently because you can walk a guy – that's a that's a huge problem. That is a huge problem for a professional that is paid a ton of money to do one job. So no, there's no excuse for that. It was Hanley who got the intentional walk, correct? So would you have walked Hanley in that situation, knowing Chapman had a ton of control issues? Um, pr- it's, I still probably load the bases. Yeah, I still have. I'm gonna have. Yeah, I, I'm, I agree. Because I, th- I think that's the play. I think the play yeah. is to load the bases, and you got to you know you want to th- put the force on, and you got to have confidence in your closer to go in there and sort of throw strikes. You can't play to to expect a walk. You just can't do that. It, when you're when you're um, on the, the the grand scheme of things, and you're Girardi, and you're looking at the situation for a game, you got to have confidence in your guys. If you don't have any confidence in your guys, then they shouldn't be out there. And also, let's be honest, he they were screwed no matter what. 
it was it was dead. The, the game was over. It was so obvious. But Torres boots that ball. Torres had a bad night on Friday. Made two yeah. errors that pretty much cost them the game along with Chapman not being able to throw strikes. But as soon as Torres booted that ball and the score was tied, you knew it was over. There were no outs. Chapman didn't record one out. Right. Uh, granted, granted, the thing is, I mean, if you're looking for positives from 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 anything on his, there were a lot. There were what two soft balls hit. I mean, there was nothing true hard right. hit. So, but the, you're right. The problem is, is that he's falling behind guys. That's more concerning. Sitting, and they're sitting on things. Yes, it's more he, concerning it, to me that he couldn't throw strikes than that if he just went out there and gave up a hard hit double and a home run. And you could say, okay, he just was rusty and he made bad pitches in the middle of the plate. That happens. That happened to Mariano Rivera. It happens to everybody. Right. But I never saw Mariano Rivera go out there and walk guys, walk the bases loaded and not be able to throw strikes. Well, I'm not ready to put Chapman in the same sentence Chapman's as Mariano not, Rivera. He's not in the same caliber. I mean, he's not the greatest closer of all time, but he's currently the highest paid closer in baseball. Right. This is a guy that needs to go out there, get ahead of people, because when he does, then his fastball becomes much more effective. Then his secondary pitches become much more effective because then they have to sit on 100 plus. And if he can throw that uh, that off speed across the plate or break it back and, you know, to around a, one of the corners, then he's the he, then he's a lot more effective. And I mean, this is this is something that everybody knows. This is this is pretty much the, the same story with any pitcher ever. You know, you work ahead and you have the advantage on the batter. You don't. They can sit on and look for something. And that's what's that's what's been happening. Before the weekend series even got started, the Yankees had some bad news. They lost Pineda for the season. We have a mailbag question concerning Pineda, so we're going to get more in depth on him later in the episode. They also diagnosed Greg Bird with something I'm not even going to try and pronounce. It's an ankle oh, boo boo. They figured out that you go ahead and try and pronounce it. OS trigonom inflation. So it is OS. It's not OS. <laughs> I'm call- yeah, it's like a it's a Mac version. It's the newest Mac version, actually. <laughs> He's got an iOS inflammation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, surgery is an option. So I may or may not have said Greg Bird's going to be the second half MVP for the Yankees in the last episode as my prediction. I don't remember saying that, but uh, the tapes might be out there somewhere. At least they figured out what the hell is going on with Bird. And it's a real injury. He's not just being a puss. Well, I mean, I'm, I can't confirm that this is a real injury. It sounds like somebody made it up, but it sounds like something I took in like, I don't know, before I took pre algebra. But the thing is, when you're looking at a guy who can't who can't do the things that he's normally doing and nobody has any idea and the fact that they're finally diagnosing something and they can pinpoint where it is uh that means they can treat it so they they're they they injected something recently right they did some kind of cortisone shot they did a cortisone shot i think around the fourth of july yeah but they didn't know at that point they didn't know what it was i think since they've diagnosed it they did it wasn't a cortisone shot it was something else and the cortisone shot is the next option now uh, but so that he, they can go in. But he's already done one, and I thought you're not supposed to do two of those. I don't know. Well, I don't know because if they're, does it matter where they inject it? So oh, that's a good no point. Idea. If it's injected into a different joint or something, it might be different. Yeah, now we're being doctors. We're <clears> yeah, if you if you ha- if you could not tell by our pronunciation of medical issues, <laughs> Scott and I are not doctors. <laughs> but at the same time, so now they know they can locate it. It's it's basically a you know a triggered inflammation, a triggered bruise in a in a weird place in your ankle. And now they can treat it. Hopefully the, the fact that they can treat it and they can get to that spot and they can actually locate where the needle needs to go in and, and inject that cortisone, hopefully that can take care of an issue. But we'll see. I mean, who knows? Do you really expect Greg Bird to come back? Because I certainly don't. No. I was, I was being funny on the last episode. <laughs> but it's ironic because as soon as I said it, he's diagnosed with something else. And did you also notice that as soon as I said 
mistakenly said Pineda should be considered for the wild card spot back in like early June. He started to suck and then had a season ending injury. Yeah, I mean, you should stop talking. You should probably uh, we should probably get somebody else to do this podcast. Eventually, there's going to be enough evidence where something's going on with with stuff that I say. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure there's it's surfacing now. So so stop making outlandish predictions, please. <laughs> the uh, the Yankees traded for first base Garrett Cooper. He's a big moose. He hit uh, 366, 17 homers, 82 RBIs in a half a season at the Pacific Coast League. Those are inflated numbers. He plays in Colorado, and apparently that whole league has ridiculous numbers out in AAA for the Rockies. They traded Tyler Webb. I actually, believe it or not, saw some people on Twitter saying the Yankees should not have traded Tyler Webb and that this was a huge mistake that Brian Cashman made. And I'm like, Tyler freaking Webb, you're upset about trading? What bizarre planet are we living on? Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. They gave up a guy who's a, a young left-handed guy, and that's what they were. How about you develop a young left-handed reliever? Okay, sure. How about we just ship him out for uh, some first baseman that is putting up gaudy numbers? And I know people are talking about that. The, the problem that I have that people are dismissing his numbers, and to me, you cannot dismiss those numbers when you're looking at them. Are they inflated? Sure. But there's a lot of professional guys that are playing in the major leagues who are all-stars and who are, I think, there are a couple of Hall of Famers that have played in Colorado Springs. This, this is not just a, you can't just dismiss everybody that comes out of Colorado Springs or plays in Colorado. The fact of the matter is this guy still has 82 RBIs. And what does that tell me? That tells me he's getting big hits in big situations. Whether the ball's going in or out, he's still getting the hit. I mean, the, the, he's making contact with the ball. The fact is that this guy's putting up big numbers and they took a gamble for really not much. Let's be honest. Tyler Webb, was he going to make an impact on this team? Probably not. I would almost say definitively not. So why not go for a 6'6", stud, big dude, first baseman that has the potential to solve your problems? A big, glaring problem. Brian Cashman, what the hell are you doing? You traded the wrong Tyler out of the bullpen. Should have traded Clippard. Yeah. Although he's been pretty good lately. The Let's but also not go overboard with Cooper. He's not a prospect anymore. He's a he's 26, 27 years old. He's a career minor leaguer. I still like the uh, like the trade. At least you bring somebody in who can play first base. He's a right-handed hitter, a compliment to G-Man Choi. The Yankees are just throwing shit against the wall at this point at first base and seeing what sticks. Yeah, and we've seen this guy who's 6'6". Six, six, sometimes these big guys, it takes longer for them to get going. It does. If you look at some of these uh, the big, taller dudes, a lot of them get going later in their career. So you, you might be able to catch lightning a bottle with this. So the fact that he went after this and you see a guy that does have prolific off- offensive numbers no matter where he plays and then also plays the biggest need position in your uh, in your defensive position players, like that's that's an absolutely – worth worthwhile gamble to take no doubt i would like to get his thoughts though and see his mindset between being on the the triple a uh for milwaukee team out in colorado and then 24 hours later starting at fenway park for the yankees yeah well he did have an interview with uh Marakovic on the field and he he said the kind of the whole timeline and how he was talking to apparently he's the youngest of a bunch of brothers and um, so he was talking to his his guys, his brothers and his dad. I think they all came out to Fenway on uh, on Saturday. So he was and you could tell that he was just like, holy, holy shit. What a whirlwind that was. That's insane. What just happened to me? He got his first hit on Sunday night after having a pretty rough weekend. Um, but like I said, him and G-Man, whoever's playing better is going to get the starts going forward. 
But the other thing about him real quick is that like, what do you expect? People are already making judgments like, oh, really good move, Cashman. Like, come on, people, you know, that's, that's everybody needs to fans. get a grip. I understand that, but you need to. We need to realize you cannot make a judgment on the player on the on one series at Fenway Park when he comes from AAA Colorado to the New York Yankees. You just can't make a, a judgment off of that guy. Give him some time. Let him get into a rhythm. Let him get into the the clubhouse for God's sakes. Make some friends. Get loose, and uh, and then we'll make a judgment on him. Then we'll judge the living shit out of him. But you're, you're saying, hold on, you're saying that we should actually sit back and watch a few games and take in what he's doing before making an overreaction judgment on. On this guy that's that's a unrealistic scott yeah god forbid god forbid gary cooper by the way i think that's uh there's a lot of a lot of punny things that can be going on with the gary cooper reference yeah we have Even not gary heard cooper's him. like well before my time too we have not heard a home run call from Sterling on Cooper. All he had was that double on Sunday night. So I am I am anxiously awaiting that. I always love one of my favorite things when the Yankees get a new player is awaiting the home run call from John Sterling. Every time a bell rings a bird clips his wings. Oh. <laughs> you, you've been you had a lot of time to think this weekend. <laughs> Jose Quintana to the Cubs in a shocking crosstown deal. Four prospects. The Cubs sent their number one and number five ranked prospects to the Cubs. We're obviously talking excuse me, to the White Sox. We're obviously talking about this because Quintana was the Yankees number one pitching rumor for the last year, pretty much. Yankees are not getting him. This would have been like Cashman trading Torres and Rutherford or Frazier, Caprellian, and Sheffield or a combination of those level prospects. I don't think the Yankees were ever going to do something like that because they're not ready to win a World Series yet. We think the team's pretty good. We think they can compete for a playoff spot. But does, Cashman's not comfortable saying Jose Quintana is going to make them a World Series champion. Whereas the Cubs can say, we need another starting pitcher. He could make us a World Series champion. I'm okay giving up prospects if it means another ring. Yeah, absolutely. Plus he's controlled. I mean, this is something that the the Cubs know, that they have a a base to to win for you know multiple years now and now they have another starting pitcher who is controlled and will be there for what at least two years right so that's a three big no he's he's unbelievably years? Yeah, unbelievably good contract three years 30 million dollars yeah so that's a i mean that's a no-brainer move and if you think about what the cubs are giving up i think that outfield prospect was one of the who's a top five guy in baseball right he was a, a a pretty big pretty big prospect but at the same time a lot of people were uh, comparing him to Jorge Soler, like that type of guy that you know physically has all the tools, but they haven't really seen it translate into what they need to yet, or people don't think it can possibly translate. He's a single A guy, I think, too. He's lower. Yes, in that their, is in their that system. Is a, well, it's similar to Torres, who was also in single A. These, these really high prospects for the Cubs that Theo Epstein traded, he knew they were not going to help him anytime soon. Yeah. It's a the, the Cubs are in a totally different situation than the Yankees. The Cubs are trying to do what the Yankees did in the '90s, so win multiple championships. You you have to keep. It's almost like you got to keep feeding the beast at this point if you're Theo Epstein. Yeah, absolutely. And plus, if you look at what the, where the Cubs are now, they are where hopefully the Yankees. I mean, I'm not talking about championships, but just the type of players, like all their prospects. The majority of the ones that are are doing well are on the Cubs right now. So if you look at what the Yankees should be in 2018, uh, I, I think you're, you'd be looking at a similar situation where a lot of the top prospects are up in the bigs, and then you have some minor, some guys who I don't know where they fit in, but are still top prospects that are then, uh, you know, then can be used as as trade chips, and that's what, that's what Theo's doing. He's pretty much going to unload that minor league system. So, Can you imagine the Yankees and the Mets doing something like this? It would be, no, no, I, it, it would... Uh, 
I don't think it's possible to tell you the truth. I, I was thinking I, about I agree. How, I don't think it's possible either. There's just there's just too many implications with uh, with with just collateral damage in the media and, and the papers. And I feel like the New York is just too concerned about that stuff. Good for Quintana. He doesn't have even have to find a new apartment. Yeah, it's perfect for him. It was the, it was probably the best move he could have made. I mean, he really makes and he comes out there and fans 12 Orioles on his first his first outing. I mean, he's just completely dominant. So it's the best move for him personally, too. I mean, it's a really good situation. And honestly, the Cubs, if they the fact that they just got another very good starting pitcher, you know, that offense is going to come around at, at some point. And it looks like it's already starting to. So they're about to, I think, go on a very, very healthy run. Oh, yeah. If the Cubs, at the end of the season, we look back and say, oh, the Cubs have had the best record in the second half, no one's going to be surprised by that. No, I would probably predict, I bet the money is on them to have the best record in the second half right now. And if you're the Brewers, you're saying, well, shit, this was a fun run. We're about to be overtaken pretty soon. Yeah, no doubt. Also news over the weekend, the Red Sox DFA Pablo Sandoval. I bring this up because he uh, was still owed about half of his contract. I think it was 40-something million dollars. People were comparing it to, oh, the Yankees should do this with Jacoby Ellsbury. And then when you look at the details of Ellsbury's contract, he still owed $80 million, roughly. Because, uh, he's signed through 2020. So as ba- big and bad as that contract was of Sandoval... It just goes to show you how much worse Ellsbury's was. At least Ellsbury's playing, so you can't say it was a worse signing. But as far as how much money he's owed, that, that's where we are. Yeah, I think that's debatable, though. At the same time, he's playing, but he's just he's just blah. He's, even when he's healthy and, and good for Ellsbury, he's not a very good baseball player. He's very, very, very average at this point. And they're, you know, he's now turning into a point where he's going to be blocking players because when Hicks comes back, then what's happening with, with Frazier? What are we doing in the outfield at that point? Is Ellsbury going to block one of the guys that deserves to be up there right now? It's a problem. Quick little stat for you comparing Frazier and Ellsbury. I just looked up the updated numbers. Ellsbury has 13 extra base hits in 50, I think it's now 53 games played. And Frazier has six extra base hits in just nine games played. So in a very short amount of time, Frazier has already had the extra base production that Ellsbury is just not giving the Yankees. He's a singles hitter whose only specialty is reaching on a catcher's interference. And then even when he gets on base, he doesn't always steal, which I still don't understand. When Ellsbury gets on base, I want to see him running. That's it's one of his best assets still. That asset I know is going downhill. As you get older, speed goes away. But right now, eh, he's still fast. It goes away for some. You know, some people it goes away well, Ellsbury's not 37 years old yet. Yeah, I guess he, he'll turn it on at 37. I don't know. Some people are just aren't that lucky, you know? I, uh, I consider myself a lucky one. But at the same time, when you're looking at Frazier, first of all, I was listening to a lot of the games because I was on the road a lot this weekend. And it's uh, there was a funny dynamic every time Frazier did something, whether he scored from second on a, on a, a, a hard ball into the outfield or he went first to third. All I know is that John Sterling gushing over Frazier. And I think it's funny because the entire time he's gushing over Frazier, Susan Waldman is just silent. <laughs> I feel like there's like a slight thing going on there. Like she can't comment because she's still, you know, just completely eating mud about the whole Mickey Mantle Frazier thing and how dumb she looked at that point. And, and Sterling is just naturally gushing over Frazier. I feel like it's, it's building tension in the booth. I also listened to a lot of John and Susan this weekend. I'm sensing a little rift between those two. 
yeah, maybe it's the Frasier thing. Maybe it's John is upset with the way that Susan tried to grab some headlines. Maybe that was it. John likes to stay in the background and do his radio thing and not like to make a big stir except for the home run calls. And uh, Susan tried to get a little bit of the limelight. John talks over her quite a bit. Well, he is the voice of the New York Yankees. Right. He used to give her a little bit more leeway on the air. She could jump in, add some color, add some stats. But now he just has no problem just talking right over her, correcting her, whatever it is. He'll correct her and he won't even be right. <laughs> I, I, I think that's a – I don't even know if it's on purpose half the time, though. I think it's just because he's just talking and maybe doesn't hear her or, uh, you know, he just has no idea what's happening at that point. But they're they're both a little confused. Yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of factors that go into the dynamic of Susan and John. Let's go back to that Friday night game, first game of the second half. Montgomery goes out there, looks rusty. He didn't pitch in about a week plus. I know you're sick of that excuse, but it looked like he was a guy who hadn't pitched in a week plus. He had absolutely nothing, no control, walked the first batter of the game, fell behind everybody. He uses changeup a lot more than usual. That was his only pitch that was really working on Friday night. But he had 96 pitches through four innings, setting up for a, a long weekend. He gave the Yankees no length, kind of put them in a hole to start the weekend. Yeah. And while I'm sick of the excuse, I mean, I think the All-Star break is probably one of those excuses that you can use, I guess. So uh, I, I still don't – it's hard for me to, to give that to Chapman where he just comes in to pitch one inning and he's been doing it for years. This is a rookie who starts – and this is his first year, you know, being in a rotation. So, you know, he hasn't really gotten that all-star break mentality, had to come back from it yet. While I'm not giving him an excuse, he still is a professional athlete. He needs to come out there and do it. But I can see how it, it could be a hangover. But, yeah, he wasn't he wasn't good. He had uh, the control is his big thing. I mean, that's what was giving him problems early in the season. Um, when he does have that control, he's a different pitcher. And when his curveball is, is working to his advantage because he's getting ahead, he's a different guy. So, um, you know, I'm sure I have confidence that he'll be fine and bounce back, no problems. Did you make anything out of the fact that they went with Montgomery on Friday in, instead of Severino? Yeah, I don't know. I think it was the way that they, it worked out. I think um, that Severino, I, for whatever reason, they just didn't want him throwing that, that night. Maybe it was a precaution in case he did throw in the All-Star game. Um, he didn't throw, so, <clears> I mean, that well, changed you things. Knew, right, you knew that. It, had he thrown, he was going to come in. After the if Cano didn't, if hit, the Cano didn't hit the home run, Severino was going to start that 11th inning for the American League. Didn't happen. So he didn't even, I don't even think he, did he warm up? Maybe because he warmed up. I'm not even he sure. Probably, he had to have warmed up if he was going to come in at that point. But that's a throw day for a starter anyway. Yeah, maybe. But I don't know. Maybe, you know how Joe Girardi is. He's going to be overcautious. So he saw an opportunity to arrest a guy for another day and and took it. I mean, I think when you're looking at what the the way that they made the change on Sunday with CeCe kind of, uh, the day before, like, oh, you're not going to pitch. Now you are going to pitch. I think CC can handle that, whereas Severino, maybe you need to give him more time. Well, here's where I bring it up, uh, where I thought that maybe you could have done something interesting, is that you know you're going up against Chris Sale on Saturday. I, I'm not saying to punt a game, because you'd never do that. But do you really want to waste your best pitcher against the best pitcher in baseball right now, or one of the best pitchers in baseball in Chris Sale? It worked out. The Yankees won the game. Severino matched Sale, pretty much, he gave up one run over seven innings, so he pitched phenomenally. But you could have taken a, maybe you have a better chance on Friday night if Severino starts in that situation against uh, Drew Pomeranz. Yeah, well, I mean, I could go to the other side of it. And the first time we, we faced Sale at Fenway, Tanaka outdueled him, and they won a very low-scoring game. So, you know, Girardi's going into that game saying, okay, my best opportunity to 
you know, have to shut down the Red Sox and potentially scratch across a couple runs against Sale is Severino. So maybe I can steal this game by limiting the offense for the Red Sox and scratch across a couple runs. Double, yeah. Devil's advocate on that. I know. It's, yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty on this. But I also want to talk about Chad Green, who was phenomenal all weekend. He pitched two innings on Friday night and then another inning uh, later later in the series. I can't even remember. The games are blurring together. Apologize for that. But last 10 games, 16 innings pitched, 25 strikeouts, .56 ERA. Chad Green has quickly become one of the best weapons in that bullpen. He has taken over any seventh inning duties that Clipper had, had dreams of him regaining. That's not going to happen. Chad Green, I love it the fact that he's a guy he can be used for multiple innings. I think that's also a huge weapon. Maybe Chad Green can be that fireman that we wanted maybe Dellen Patances to be. Yeah, well, and he did pitch on uh, on the first the first game on Sunday, and he came in in the eighth inning because uh, I guess Patances they were going to use him as the closer. At that was night also if, weird because Chapman ended up closing. I know that, so that's why I'm thinking that Patances was possibly the closer for the night game. I don't know, but your boy did come in in the seventh inning in the first game. Clipper did come in and had a good inning, shut down the the team. You can't um, use anything at this week. This weekend is a nutty weekend. Every, everyone was used in all different spots. You can't you can't use that as a normal barometer. Hey, all I'm doing is telling you that he came in in the seventh inning and pitched in that seventh inning and pitched well. So you know, Joe Girardi sees that, goes in the binder and says seventh inning pitched well. Okay, put Chad, him back in. Chad Green's back to mop up duty in the fifth inning. Yeah, but Chad Green did pitch the eighth inning. They have a lot more confidence in him. He did walk a couple guys in that eighth inning, got out of the trouble, um, but he's been dominant. I mean, you know, Sterling had a beautiful, beautiful comment. This is the beauty about them. For all the dumb shit that they say and all the things that they miss and things that they're wrong, he comes out with these gems. And he said it was a, uh, he said, Green throws, it's a stream of milk. And how the, he, just an easy 97 out of his head. A, a stream, stream of, of milk. milk? I had never heard that before and it was great. Yeah. I had I actually made a voice recording after I heard it, so I didn't forget what? that he had said what it. What does that mean? What could that possibly mean? It's a white ball, so all you see is a stream of milk. It's a blur. It's 97. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's like a frozen rope, but it's a stream of milk. Oh, uh, see, this is why John Sterling needs to be calling the home run derby. Yeah, it's gold. There's he he puts these little things of these little nuggets of gold that you got to catch. If you're not paying attention, you'll miss them. But um, he was. He's good. He has an easy, you know, high 90s fastball. And um, he just looks like he's gaining a lot more confidence. And that's the key. And you're right. I do hope that they use him as kind of that fire extinguisher guy. Uh, but it's it's clear that they're they're able to go to him for more than one inning, which is really, really nice to have a guy that, that can pitch more than one inning out of the bullpen that Joe has confidence in. Um, I'd, I'd also say that Warren is still right there, too, because I think Warren's pitched very well. Uh, since uh, you know this weekend, and really as of late, I think he since he's come back from the DL, he's pitched well. That's the one takeaway I have from this weekend. It's that the bullpen got back on track. I know it was only yeah. four games, but the bullpen pitched really, really well, except for one inning this weekend. Yeah, one bad inning, one crucial inning, but yes, it did pitch well. One one inning that could have changed the entire outlook of the weekend. So you're right, it was a very crucial inning. But when you look at the overall numbers, I mean, the the bullpen over the last month has been horrendous. Yeah. So many walks, so many hits, so many runs in crucial situations. That didn't happen this weekend. And I think that's also, uh, you know, attributes to the fact that we have the the two guys are still are back in their positions and back in their slots and the bullpen's getting healthier. Warren's back. Um, so a lot of these guys don't have to pitch. A lot of the guys that were blowing up don't have to pitch. And a lot of, you know, they're, they're 
they're more fresh, the guys that do come in. So I, I think these these injuries, are, we're going to start seeing the team play better because these injuries absolutely took a toll during that hor- horrendous month of baseball. We also saw great performances on the, the long game on Saturday from Ben Heller and Jonathan Holder, both of those yeah. guys who got shipped back to Scranton because they needed new arms. Both of those guys pitched pretty well too. Yeah, our boy Heller came out and threw two very, very big innings, and he pitched really well. And did you notice what he was throwing? Yep. That changeup. That changeup was on fire uh, when he was, uh, what was it, the 15th and the 16th inning? Very, very good stuff. And you can see how much more effective he is and how much more confidence he has. When that changeup is, is, uh, is, is going over the plate or he's just showing it, it doesn't even have to be a strike. It could just be around the plate and he's showing it. Uh, and then his fastball jumps at you because it's a high 90s fastball. So good for him and two strong innings. For people who may not know what we're referencing, Ben Heller was on this podcast back in spring training and actually talked to us about how he was developing his changeup. It was pretty fun to see it actually materialize on the field. Yeah, definitely. And and you can tell how much when you have a guy who throws that hard and is so reliant on his fastball because, you know, that's one pitch that he'd said that he would use. He would just go out there and compete and try to throw by guys. Well, when you're in the major leagues, that's not as easy to do. So you need that secondary pitch to change the speed, to change the eye level. And uh, it looks like that changeup is, is coming along nicely. A couple other nutty things from this game on Saturday. First of all, Scott, I want to ask you. I know you can run a 40-yard dash at 37 years old. Do you think you could lay down a bunt? I I would I would need to practice it, but I, I'm, I feel, I'm fairly confident that I could do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't the, think it's that difficult. The Yankees can't, and it was, the, I think, the number one reason why that game was 16 innings on, on Saturday is because nobody could bunt on that team. They had chances early in the game where a bunt could have helped them, and then like two or three chances in extra innings where just lay down a freaking bunt and the Yankees probably take that lead in much earlier than the 16th inning. I don't know if you saw the exchange that was happening on the, the Bronx Pinstripes Twitter account, but I had put out a couple of tweets about the bunt. I was like, bunt, just bunt, freaking bunt. I saw them. <laughs> and Keith Law actually got involved in one of them uh, talking about the fact that he wrote into a book that you know the percentages are, are a lot higher for for uh, the situation to the for the batter to swing and the percentages are a lot higher when the team scores if they don't bunt and that's great people can throw <laughs> out numbers that that will support their argument Good job, every Keith. time no you know that's why that's one of the problems i have with sabermetrics is that a lot of these numbers can be skewed towards any argument you want and to me that's one of those numbers because uh, when you're looking at those numbers in the situations, um, does it really tell you who's up? Does it tell you what the situation is? Does it tell you who's on base? Does it tell you what inning is happening? It's you know, overall. It's taking. It, it's. I it's get that. A but huge you know what? Pile of data and the, the averages say uh, hitting away produces runs more often than bunting. Which and what is it like 56 percent of the time? I mean, look. It, to me, you have to throw those numbers out. You have to look at situational. Yeah. Uh, ha- you have to look at situation. That's why, to me, the eye test in baseball is so important because every situation is so different. When you only rely on numbers, you're relying on things that don't attribute or that are not considered into the numbers. And to me, that's just that. That's not. That's not a good way to do. That. That's not responsible by by making your decision solely on numbers. You have to have some kind of an intuition and have some feeling for the game. And in that situation, when no runs were scoring, you get that damn runner over and try to make an out and score a run because nobody was getting hits. You exactly. try to get an out. It when was, you're it in was the joke. when you're in the 14th or the 15th inning of a game, things get nutty. Players are tired. Swings are bad. 
bunting actually can help because you put pressure on the defense. Who knows? Maybe they make a throwing error and you get an easy run that way. All you need to do is scratch across one run in extra innings. A sack fly. A little thing can can win the game. We're not talking about bunting in the fourth inning when it's a 7-8 to eight ball game and you're, you're trying to get doubles in the gap and all this other stuff. This is extra innings, situation dictated, lay down a freaking bunt. Yeah, and they just couldn't. <laughs> can't do it. I they mean, couldn't do it. I don't understand. I, I, will, DD, I will never. not be able to? I don't understand how a middle infielder can't bunt. Torres, I don't get that. How does Torres not know how to bunt? Yeah. I feel like Torres should be the best bunter in baseball. Right. Yeah, absolutely. He really should. It's There's there's no excuse. I don't know how every single player on a major league roster should know how to bunt. I, it's Can we please go back and have bunting? See, do you see now what these drills do? I mean, obviously, they need to, they need these drills. They need these drills on, on how to screw a ball into first as a pitcher and throw – or screw a ball into the ground and throw it to first base when a pitcher is fielding a bunt. And the batters need to practice how to freaking bunt. It's embarrassing that they don't know how to do it. This was a game that I thought the Yankees did not play the way they should have. From the very start, you're going up against Chris Sale. You know you're not going to score a ton of runs off him. One run might be the difference, and it actually was. But early in that game, Sale was not his sharpest self. He walked Gardner to lead off the game. Gardner Gardner just stood there on first base. He didn't run. Why not have Brett Gardner run? People are going to say, oh, well, you don't want to take the bat out of Gary Sanchez and Aaron Judge's hands. I would argue that is even more reason to run because those guys have a better chance at knocking a single off Chris Sale than the bottom of the order with Chase Headley and Ronald Torres and those guys. Gardner should have been running in that situation. Later later in the game, I know Ellsbury was on, or maybe not Ellsbury because I don't think he played, but somebody else was on first base, um, excuse me, on second base. Uh, somebody let off with a double or had a one-out double and they couldn't move that, that runner as well. You got to play with a little bit more urgency against Chris Sale. I understand you're not going to bunt against Drew Pomeranz, but when it's Chris Sale, I want to see a bunt, hit and run, do something to try and win the game. Yeah, you definitely have to get creative. It's it's a different situation when you have a guy who's coming out there and and just throwing uh, just just throwing lasers at you and from all different angles. Uh, he's he's the best pitcher in the American League, and you have to get creative to score runs off of him. And you're right. I, I want to see more of a, a National League style of baseball when you're approaching. And I'm surprised Girardi's not doing it. And it's very obvious. Maybe maybe this is the reason. He knows his guys aren't capable of it. They can't bunt. They pop out. They just look terrible trying to bunt. They can't put. There was a situation where where Chase Headley had uh, you know the entire third base line is completely open. Yes. We saw Teixeira do it last year a couple times, actually. Base is loaded with nobody yeah. playing third base. Like, slap a ball. Bunt. Slap do a something. Ball. Play pepper and slap a ball down the third baseline. You should be able to make contact with the ball on a fastball. Like, come on, man. Just, just, just put the ball in play on the third baseline. You're a pro hitter. Do it. It's a little frustrating sometimes. I, I just It feels like the Yankees' game plan is let's just wait for a home run. I think it's a lot more of the the overlying theme of baseball, to tell you the truth. I think there's a lot less guys. I mean, there's a very few guys that can actually effectively lay down a bunt or do these small things. And, you know, whether it's going back and they're just not doing it in uh, in growing up, you know, doing it, everybody's swinging for the fences for, at every level at this point. I don't know. They're just they just don't develop that bunt tool. And well, that's how you get 16 inning games and 18 inning games like they played against the Cubs earlier this year, because yep. it's either a home run or, or nothing. 
And you saw it with the Red Sox, too. The Red Sox went 20-something innings without scoring a run this weekend. And they also didn't have a hit with runners in scoring position against the Yankees. They were like 2-for-50 with runners in scoring position against the Yankees this season. That's First of all, that's lucky for the Yankees, but that's also horrendous for the Red Sox when you're 2-for-50. Yeah, their offense has not been good against the Yankees at all. And I'm, I know they're not hitting the ball out of the ballpark this year. This is, I think they're, they might even be last in the American League. They're, they're at the bottom. Uh, with home runs and I mean that's such a dramatic difference from what we've seen from previous Red Sox teams that you know flaunt uh, David Ortiz coming out in the three spot but you know these guys Hanley's Hanley Ramirez who they expected to be you know their big thumper at the DH spot and come out and, and try to supplement some of those home runs he's just not hitting home runs at the same clip he was or any of these other guys I mean granted he had one against us this year or this uh, this weekend but the rest of those guys just uh, just aren't hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Sabathia pitched great in game one on on uh, Sunday. Actually, the pitching was good all across the board for the Yankees. Tanaka also in game two. He made one bad mistake to Mookie Betts. That was a spinning slider in the middle of the plate, and it was the difference in the game. The Yankees were shut out on Sunday night for the first time all season, and they were the last team to have not been shut out. It finally happened. Uh, Judge was robbed of a home run late in the game, so they Man. probably shouldn't have been shut out. But hey, they were shut out. Judge had a bad weekend. Finally started to hit the ball hard towards the end of the game on Sunday. But uh, the the home run derby hot takes were out in full force for, for Aaron Judge. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. The uh, First of all, that, that catch but you knew by... That, but you knew that was going to happen. Yeah, fine. That, that's right. But also, how about it was a, a week off for a guy that has not hit a slump at all all year. First slump and was in a, It was in a ridiculous rhythm the entire time because he's playing baseball every day, takes a week off, and, and then comes back. I mean, God forbid he, he comes off slowly. I mean, I, I expect something like that when you have a hot hitter. I mean, you want to keep playing when you're hot at the plate. But that catch by Jackie Bradley Jr. was one of the best catches I've seen in a long time. I mean, he tracked that ball a long way. And that was the deepest park of Fenway Park, that little alcove in uh, in right center field. And he got up and took it, just snagged it from over that wall. Hell of a catch. Pretty pretty ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, it was a like a 420 shot foot shot that was robbed. So that's two home runs that Aaron Judge has been robbed from. Three. Three. Oh, you're right. Three. Three home runs. Because two. One, one by the umpires. <laughs> yeah, the umpires against the Cardinals. Then it was uh, Melky Cabrera robbed him and now Jackie Bradley. I'm still not convinced that that Melky was a home run, but that's fine. Two and a half home runs. Yeah. Sabathia has been great uh, this season against the Red Sox. 14 innings, no earned runs. He's sort of mixing and matching against the Red Sox. He showed up. He nutted up on on Sunday afternoon in a spot when he, like you said, he wasn't supposed to start. They bumped him up. We didn't know if he was not starting this weekend for injury reason or what it was. It was kind of a mystery, but he came in and he gave the Yankees six innings, no runs, exactly what they needed in that situation to set the stage for Tanaka, who, like I said, at least he gave them length. He gave them seven and two-thirds innings. They lost, though. Price pitched better. I, can't, I have a hard time getting on Tanaka for last night. Price just pitched better. Yeah, I mean, Tanaka pitched well, and he got he got into the eighth inning, which is something that we haven't seen from starters in a long time. So I, I'm giving Tanaka a lot of credit. I, th- I thought he looked really good. Um, you know, he, he got uh, a ball that was hit out of the ballpark by an, uh, an MVP candidate type player. I mean, that, that's a that's a guy that that can do that to you and you can tip your cap. You know what I mean? But um, at the same time, uh, looking at Sabathia, too, the it's interesting to look at how Sabathia pitched because, you know, early on he walked the first two batters of the game 
and got a big double play to to end that first inning. But we're seeing the new Sabathia, and I think that this was a, a really good opportunity to to see kind of how he pitches now. Because, you know, when he was bad earlier in the year, before um, you know, early in the season, he was he was getting into trouble early in the game. And what we saw today or yesterday was that he got into trouble, but he got out of trouble. He's pitching a lot more carefully. He walked, I don't know, four or five guys on Sunday. Um, he's not striking people out, but he's being he's taking the walks. Like he's fine with the walks because he knows he can get out of that stuff. Um, and he just wasn't getting out of earlier. And now he's he's kind of working himself out of jams. But it's interesting the way to watch the way he's approaching batters and uh, and how he's kind of meticulously working the strike zone and the batters. It's it's fun to watch him pitch like this to tell you the truth. So um, good for CC. I'm glad he was able to go out and do that. And then yeah, I, I just I'm happy that Tanaka got linked because to me it's another good sign that he's on the right path. I am too. I was pretty pissed after Betts hit the home run because it was a bad pitch. It was a hanging slider. And you could tell the Yankees were flat in that game. I don't blame them. They were tired. But you could tell they wanted no part of that Sunday night baseball game. The offense was doing nothing. Price, who they've hit in the past, was shutting them down. So I was pissed at Tanaka. But then when I saw him go into the eighth inning... I said he saved the bullpen in a in a situation where they they don't have any off days. They're going right to Minnesota and then they go right to Seattle. So they also play the most games in the second half out of any team in baseball. So they're not going to have many off days in the second half. They're going to need their starters to start going deeper into games if they want to survive this second half of the season. Yeah, that's my big takeaway. I mean, that he uh, that he got that length. That's a big deal when you're pitching. And uh, look at the two combined starts now at Fenway Park. I mean, that's he's got ridiculous numbers. Um, with you know, with the two combined starts, the night first game. one being obviously a gem. Yeah, hey, it is what it is. At this six point. days you know, rest and a night game. It is it is what it is at this point. We know when he's going to be good and when he's not going to be good. <laughs> it's almost laughable. It's almost funny at this point. Yeah. Let's get into some mailbag questions now. Before we do that, I want to just remind everybody to take a second and rate and review this podcast. It really helps out the show. It allows us to get more listeners, get more guests on, all that kind of stuff. Take a second, go to iTunes, give us a five-star rating and review. Like I said, it really helps us out and we appreciate it. The first mailbag question is from Greg in Canada. He says, is it just me or is Michael Pineda's injury an addition by subtraction for this team? I know neither of you is a huge Pineda fan, but his absence from the roster can be a win-win. No more terrible body language. No more O2 meatballs in the middle of the plate. And I also think it could be better for the team chemistry going forward. No player on this team would admit this, but his antics on the mound and lack of compete level can't have sat well with the team. Give me Adams, Sessa, or even Mitchell over Pineda. And before we get into our, our talk of Pineda, I just want to share a little thing, little something um, from my weekend. As soon as I heard the Pineda news, I texted my dad, Pineda is out for the season. Within seconds, he replies, that's great news. Why? <laughs> so if anyone's curious as to why I am the way I am, just refer to that text from my dad. Yeah, well, he's not wrong either. The, uh, <laughs> he's not, but just the, I, I could tell it was, he never texted back like that quickly. He texted back so fast. He was elated. Yeah, yeah. Legitimately overjoyed. Oh, awesome news. What's wrong with him? The, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, look, you never want to, to, to see an injury with a guy because he was very good in the early in the season. But the, the fact of the matter is that Michael Pineda came crashing back down to earth. So hard. The, the car wash antics with the, the uh, whipping wind sock in the air was was in full effect. The dude was flailing like no other. 
And um, I'm very happy now we can see other people because he was not a, a guy that was had not you, it's me. place on this team. Yeah, it's not you, it's me. No, it's you. It's absolutely you. Good luck. We'll see you uh, in two years on some other team. Like you said, bad timing for Pineda, who's going to be a free agent. He, I know he still wants a second opinion. I think I guess he doesn't want to have surgery, so he could trick some team into ha- giving him a contract. This is I think the, the second. I think the second opinion was surgery. Okay, so yeah, so so yeah, his season's over. Tommy John surgery, similar to what Evaldi went through last year. Yeah, yeah, actually, around the same time too. Yep. Right, it was pretty close to the same time. Early July for for Evaldi, mid July for Pineda. We've seen the last of him in a Yankee uniform. The Yankees won that trade with the Mariners for Jesus Montero. <laughs> I mean, who winning is arbitrary. But at the at same, this point. they won yeah. because Pineda actually pitched for them. But at the same time, did they win because we had to endure four plus seasons of Michael Pineda antics? Let's all look at that trade and say nobody won. It was a trade uh, that made a lot of headlines <laughs> that really resulted in not much. Can we go back just, and just not do it and just save everyone a lot of trouble? Yeah. A lot of conversations would be stopped. A lot of people looking dumb about Montero would be stopped. Us getting frustrated as hell with Michael Pineda. Yeah. No, that was a worthless trade. Ended up being worthless. What does it mean for the Yankees' rotation in the second half? I I think it means that we're going to start seeing some more guys. You know, we're going to start seeing some more guys come up. Uh, It also means that potentially uh, Brian Cashman could go out and make, I I think... uh, still along the same lines is that it would be a more of a minor minor move uh, and bring in another arm, but that's certainly a possibility. But I think the more realistic possibility is that we're going to be dipping more into the minor leagues. You know, Chance Adams, I think, has a very good opportunity now to come up. I think Luis Sessa is going to get a longer look, and I'm fine with that. I think people are some people are down on Sessa. I mean, I've talked down here how I'm not I'm not as down on Sessa as some people. I think he's got a really good repertoire, um, and I think he's more built for being a starting pitcher. And I'd like to see a little bit of a longer time with him because I, I do see some effective stuff. I mean, he's got a really good fastball. He's got some good pitches. It's just he's got to limit those big mistakes. And, um, you know, he's pitched well. He almost pitched kind of like Severino did last year in the sense that when he's come in in relief, he's been very good in long relief. But when he started, you know, he's he's letting up that big home run and, uh, you know, his numbers get tainted. So I'd like to see him pitch a little bit more. We're going to see him on Tuesday and we're seeing Brian Mitchell on Monday. Yeah. And so, Brian Mitchell has apparently done some really good things at AAA and has gotten back some of the pitches that he's lost, that he had, he had you know, no command over when I he was, was in the majors. I was reading something about him and they sort of said he fell into the trap of just throwing hard. He was a yeah. fa- he, he, Because the Yankees were using him in the bullpen, he, he was just relying on his fastball and his hard slider, and he got away from his changeup and some of the more soft stuff. He used to be a four-pitch pitcher. If you remember back to the spring training, was it 2015 15. when he yeah. had a great uh, spring training and then got gout or something like that? No, it wasn't gout. What was it? No, it was 2016. It was, 20, it was last year. It was what last was year the injury he, he had? I don't remember what it was. I thought he, I thought he had something with his, like, a tendon in the hand. I thought... No, it, it was, was his like foot. It was his foot. Oh, oh yeah, you're toe. right. It was turf, turf toe. toe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> gout. Anyway, um, he, was, he was using all of his pitches. He was a starting pitcher. Uh, that's why he had such a great uh, spring training. So he has a chance to, to be that starting pitcher again. I also think – I don't think um, Michael Pineda going down with an injury affects one bit what Brian Cashman was going to do for the starting rotation. 
they, regardless if Pineda was pitching or not, they still needed another starting pitcher. So if Cashman's out there on the trade market and he can get a guy for cheap or if he's going to take a risk and trade prospects, they were going to do that when if Pineda was healthy or not. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think there's uh, there's just a spot now on the major league roster that's pretty much up for grabs at this point. They're gonna they're gonna throw out a lot of bodies at it. They're gonna see who can who can win a job, and if nobody does, they'll just continue to roll out different guys. But I think you're gonna see um, Sessa with a couple starts, and I think we're gonna see if Brian Mitchell can regain that form and, and have control of those four pitches. I mean, he's a he's a very very clear option to be you know towards the the back of a rotation guy. I mean, he's got the stuff to be much better than that. So. He's an interesting guy. I think a lot of people, including us, forgot about. <laughs> we thought he was, I think we, we everybody assumed that he was just still on the disabled list. But no, he was working on his his craft in the in the minor leagues. And everything we've heard, he's, uh, you know, he's gotten a lot of that that confidence back in some of those pitches. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how he, uh, he throws in Minnesota. What's next for the mailbags? Next one is from Alex. With all the inconsistencies in the pitching staff, there hasn't been much conversation about Larry Rothschild. Much has been made about Girardi's using pitchers, but you guys have commented many times that pitchers need to go out and do their job, which I totally agree with, and that Girardi can only put pitchers in a position to succeed. However, it is the pitching coach's job to ensure that the pitchers are executing things correctly. Since we have seen good pitchers like Tanaka Chapman, Batances, and Severino have had such up-and-down performances... In general, a lack of pitcher development over the past couple of years, uh, save memory, uh, except Montgomery and Severino, do you think more blame needs to be on the pitching coach? I know the coaching staff is generally protected by the manager, but do you think Rothschild's job is up for debate at the end of the year? Uh, well, let's answer the last question first. Yes, it is up for debate at the end of the year because Girardi is also a his contract's up at the end of the year. So usually when you switch managers, if you switch managers, you also switch pitching coach, bench coach, all that kind of stuff. They're one and the same. Like like Alex said, the manager coach is is, is um, protected. We have that not being ta- said. <laughs> we have not talked about Rothschild a lot. I I I always hesitate to immediately jump on hitting coaches or pitching coaches because first of all, I don't exactly know what they're doing. They know a lot more than I do. I can tell who's succeeding and not on the field. I can tell if they make a bad pitch or not. But there's little mechanical things that I just do not know. And I feel stupid blaming coaches. I'd rather blame the players or if Girardi makes a bad managerial decision, whether it's a pinch hitting or a pitching uh, substitution. That's easy to criticize. But I always hesitate to criticize the pitching coaches because I feel like I we don't 100% know what we're actually talking about in those situations. Yeah, it's kind of like blaming your teacher when you do badly on a test. I mean, they're giving you the information to study. They give you everything you need to do, and you need to go out there and study it and then execute it on the day of. I mean, to me, it's a similar situation where you're, you know, Rothschild could do all he wants. He could, how do we know he's not making the right uh, mechanical tweak in the back? And when they're bullpen session, he's looking really good. And then the player on day of is just not executing that that tweak that, that um, you know, the teacher is giving you. So I think when, when I'm, I'm looking at Rothschild, I'm looking at, uh, at guys like, I have to look at the younger guys. To me, those are the ones that he has more influence on. I think that when you look at Montgomery and when you look at the turnaround that Severino has had, uh, I'm going out and giving credit to uh, to the player first and foremost, but I think Larry Rothschild does have 
um, some some play in that. I mean, look what Chad Green has done in turning into a reliever. There's other guys that I think Rothschild has uh, has done well with. So, uh, to me, his job is not in question because I don't think Girardi's job is in question. I think Girardi is absolutely going to get locked up, and I think Rothschild will go along for the ride as well. Um, well but, how many? How how long of a contract do you think they give Girardi? I don't know. I haven't even thought about that. Um, four years, maybe. Oh, I was thinking two. No, I think three to four years. I think that's going to be they're going to because because what's going to happen? He's they're going to give him the term of these young guys. I think. I think if they're making the decision for Girardi to go in to a, uh, a another season with all of these young guys, they're going to give him these guys for you know a, a significant amount of time until he just doesn't perform, and then then he would be fired. But I think they they will give him the security. Of, uh, of a three to four year contract. Well, they gave him a three year contract last time around. So, yeah. so I think I, that's probably the number then, three years. You could, well, if you give him, well, you can't give him one because then he's a lame duck manager. If you give him two, you're basically saying you have to prove yourself in the next season or else you're going to be a lame duck manager. So, yeah, I don't we'll know. I, th- I think that, um, I think the Yankees have uh, a loyalty to Girardi at this point too, and I think I don't think first of all I don't think Girardi's a bad manager. I think he's a good manager. I think he does things that drive us nuts, but we watch him every day and really <laughs> we we look every, at everything through a microscope. Um, at the same time, who who are you going to replace him with? Like if you look around and and you tell me another guy that's better than Girardi or that you think could be better, you know I'm all ears, but uh, there's not very many of those guys that are not already locked up with another club. I'm convinced every manager, every fan base hates their their baseball manager. Yeah, it's an easy it's an easy goat, easy goat. Just read what uh, the criticisms of Joe Madden have been this year, and that he's one of the reasons why he's lost the clubhouse and all that kind of stuff is why the Cubs struggled in in the first half. So all of a sudden, that it's Joe Madden's fault that the Cubs went from a World Series team down to a below 500 team. It's, it's a, that's. Joe, the, the manager made Kyle Schwarber strike out a ton of times and have to be sent down to AAA and that John Lester was struggling on the mound and all that stuff. That's all the manager's fault. Oh, and by the way, it's the same manager that broke their 100-plus year curse of winning a World Series. <laughs> I'm I, Again, we've never hesitated to bash Girardi when the time warrants it, but I, I also am not the type of person to just immediately bash the coaching staff when anything goes wrong. It's it's too easy. It's like to to me it's also like when people uh criticize the umpires. I hate criticizing umpires or referees. The players need to do what they're supposed to do on the field. Do you see Larry Rothschild's face when Tanaka gives up another home run? It's it's like his face looks like, you know, his dog just died. I mean, it looks it looks like the most frustrated, disappointed face you could possibly see because here we go again. This guy not executing, not doing what he's supposed to do. I mean, Larry Rothschild does not leave a ball over the middle of the plate on an 0-2 count. He just doesn't do it. It's it's 20, Tanaka. It's the guys out there. 24 home runs now allowed by Masahiro Tanaka. Almost as many home runs as Aaron Judge has hit. And especially you cannot blame, to me, you especially cannot blame a pitching coach for the struggles of a veteran pitcher. Uh, to me, you cannot do that because these guys – are old dogs. They know what they do well. They know what they don't do well. And it really does come down to a matter of executing. Can a, can a pitching coach see something maybe that they haven't seen before? Potentially, but not really that often because these guys know what they look like. They know what they feel like. They have the tape of, of multiple years of what they've done in the major leagues. There's really not much a guy can do besides looking at the mechanics and just reminding them of things they already know. What, a, what about holding runners? I guess, but you know, if you just don't feel comfortable and you're just not going to do it and you're making that decision not to do it because you don't feel comfortable throwing over, 
what are you going to do? Force him to throw over and then you see what Patances does and throw the ball away? I don't know what you do there. I think you have to get more repetition. So if, if he's not getting repetitions and uh, Rothschild is not saying, hey, we need to practice this more, okay, then I can lean on him saying, you should probably work on this more. Um, but but that's what it comes down to. I mean, they, they have to feel comfortable doing it. This next question is from Brandon, but I have a feeling maybe that you wrote it and just did a pseudonym, Brandon. Should Holiday get a two-year deal after this year? I love him, so I say yes, plus he just tied the game. <laughs> very, very. I love the uh, the reactionary mailbag. Um, I think Holiday was an unbelievable addition to this roster. Obviously, everybody knows that who listens to this show. The guy is a man am- uh, amongst boys. And let's all be honest, he has been an, an, ex- an insanely... Uh, valuable addition both on and off the field to this club that being said probably a one-year deal if he stays healthy throughout the year I think they do bring him back I think holiday wants to probably be on his last team so I could see this um a a one-year deal maybe a second year option I have nothing to add to that (laughs) what's next for mailbags Lee Jones he said you've repeatedly said that none uh not all of our kids will work out and I agree however we accept that Sanchez and Judge are the real deal and Torres and Frazier are probably can't misses. Then along with Didi and Sanchez, most of our position slots are taken care of for the foreseeable future. This being said and that in mind, how would you feel about the Yankees going out and swapping the likes of Mateo, Wade, and Duar for some similar level pitching prospects in order to stockpile in the hope that enough of them can succeed and we can construct the lion's share of a rotation? This... So Lee said swapping Mateo, Wade, Anduar, et cetera, for pitching prospects. I don't think you would trade prospects for prospects. That very, very rarely happens. The last time that really happened was Montero for for uh, Pineda. Look how that worked out. You might swap Mateo, Wade, Anduar, et cetera, for current big league pitchers. I could see that happening. In fact, I think that's what most people expect Cashman to do. If not this trade deadline, maybe in the offseason or in 2018 trade deadline, if the team is progressing like we all think it will. Yeah. And I think this is exactly, it goes back to our conversation about what the Cubs just did. I think when you, when you go into a season uh, with a lot of your prospects that are, uh, that are already on the major league roster and you're looking around and you're saying, Hey, all these positions are pretty much taken care of at this point. We can kind of thin out our depth to, to really take care of the issues that we have. And the glaring issues, if you look into the future, my, if I look into my crystal ball, what do I need the most on this team that this uh, organization doesn't have? And it's pitching. So, yeah, I could absolutely see them going out and, and making a trade like that. I, we've talked about how Mateo, I think, is, you know, as long as he continues to progress and hopefully he has a really, really big second half. That's a guy that's absolutely an obvious trade candidate. I think Enduar also is right there because if Gleyber Torres does come back, no problem, with which they expect um, from his injury, I think he's going to slide in at that third base spot. Or possibly, you know, there's a potential down the down the down the road move of Castro over to third. Um, but yeah, the infield looks like it's taken care of as far as the uh, the left side and second base. So there are moves that can be made. There's no doubt about it. And at some point, they are going to have to thin out that minor league system and pitching is the way to go the final mailbag question is a bit of a weird one and i like it because i also noticed it on friday night it's from john autry why did judge have an at bat in the first game against the red sox where he did not use his regular black bat and i tweeted out a picture uh, of judges at bat um i tweeted the picture on sunday he was using a light tan bat um instead of the regular black bat so what's your conspiracy theory the Red Sox had a, cl- a guy in the clubhouse and hid the bat. That's a good one. 
or or maybe um, maybe because Judge his swing was ruined in the home run derby, so he needed to try something different because he went zero for one. He went zero for one in that first game. He he didn't get hit in his first at bat, so he's like, "Shit, I lost all my powers. I need to." I need to uh, I need to regain them. I need to start trying something different. I need to change my approach, which has earned me probably the the uh, almost the triple crown. Going to be the MVP. Going to be the rookie of the year. That that didn't work for me anymore. I need to go try a different a different bat to see if I can get my powers back. So I don't know the answer to this question, but would they get fined if they were to come out with the uh, the home run derby bat? Why didn't he just come out with the uh, the bat that had like Miami? throw Miami throw up all over his bat why don't they why didn't he just bring out that bat and, and hit a home run that, that bat's probably corked oh okay so and the balls are I'm juiced wonder- don't forget the balls are juiced is that a thing like is that a is that a uniform violation if they come out with a bat with stuff yes on it? I think it is okay except so you know remember we talked about the weekend coming up in August where they can do anything they want maybe they can wear any sort of any sort of bat as well because you know how uh Yadi yeah, Molina pink bats come out, right? The Yadi pink bats Molina come out for Mother's Day. That's true. Yadi Molina wore the gold suit, the gold um, catcher's gear. Maybe he can do that yeah. in that weekend in August. Maybe we can see some. Maybe th- that's going to be like an All Star weekend in August, where guys are it's just a free for all out there, and you can use the Miami Vice home run derby bat. Yeah, that'd be great because that means Aaron Judge is going to be hitting a lot of five hundred foot bombs. So. The um, I don't know why he didn't use the bat. I don't know. Maybe he just didn't see it. Maybe he couldn't find it. Maybe someone. Took it by accident. Maybe it broke. I don't know. I have no idea. I noticed it too. And if anybody actually does know the answer, please tweet us at Yankees Podcast, at Andrew underscore Rotondi, and at Scott Reinen. Tweet us and let us know why Judge did not use his regular black bat. You can also, guys, submit mailbag questions for next Monday Monday's episode at bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. And light up that voicemail line, 646-480-0342. Scott, anything you want to say before we get into voicemails to end the show? No, I just hope that they can uh, they can put together a, a good week of baseball and uh, treat the Minnesota Twins like the redheaded stepchild they are for the New York Yankees and win a series for the first time in what eight series or nine series is, is, is. so it's been a long time. It's been a lifetime. Let's win, let's win a series. I'm going to end it at that. Talk to you guys in a few days. Believe it or not, George isn't at home. Please leave a message at the beep. I must be out before I pick up the phone. Where could I be? (laughs) Believe it or not, I'm not home. It's 8.05, just before game one. The Yankees, after blowing Friday, came back, won the marathon game on Saturday, won game one today behind CC. Tanaka can duck up tonight and prove a lot. Let's see if he can do it. I wanted to get this voicemail in before the game started. Shut up, Tanaka! I just wanted to call and talk about last night's game. Look, uh, I'm not super concerned. Uh, Chapman and Bettences has been, have they proven over a longer period of time that they're good pitchers? Uh, Chapman's been great in the past. I think it's just a matter of them putting it together. The big question is whether or not they can put it together before it's too late. So I'm sitting here. I'm a fan from Los Angeles, and I'm watching the game. I'm a diehard Yankee fan. You know how hard it is to be a Yankee fan in Los Angeles right now when the Dodgers are doing as amazing as they are? I cannot use anything, especially after the shitty-ass night tonight. Hey, it's Mike in Maryland. 
I want to congratulate Aaron Judge on the home run contest. Way to go, Aaron. But hey, that was too close. Next year when you go, let's blow him out of the water. All you got to do is bring Tyler Clifford with you to pitch. He'll hit it out of the park every time. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.